Thank you for tuning in to Avant Life's weekly podcast. We hope this message inspires you, stirs your faith, and leaves you blessed. Hope everybody had a good week. It was one of those weeks where spring teased us a little bit, right? We're that part of the year where it's like, oh, spring's coming. But I reckon I've heard on the grapevine that next week's going to be cold again. And um, let's rebuke that right now in the name of Jesus. It's too, it's, we've had winter. It's, you know, the season's had its Game of Thrones moment. It's spring now. We want spring. We want weird-looking trees. We want warmth. We want a bit more sunlight. We want cranky people to be happy again. A bit of vitamin D. Hey, Colin? Yeah. yeah. A bit of vitamin D. All right. We're continuing. If you're joining us for the first time, we're doing our Upside Down Kingdom sermon series. We're up to part seven, I believe. Um, and last week, we discussed the whole concept of Jesus uh, beginning this particular part of his sermon by laying the foundation of who he is and what he has come to achieve. Uh, and he says these words. He says, I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets, but I came to fulfill them. And last week, if you haven't watched that yet, if you haven't seen the sermon on that, you can go back and, and watch that on our YouTube channel. But we discussed it um, from the point of view that, that God himself, through Christ, uh, was beginning to allow us to realize that the Old Testament is the gospel in bud, and the New Testament is the gospel in full flower, that they're connected, they're not to be, uh, they're not standalone parts, where you're like, that was the Old Testament, now we're in the New Testament, and that Christ himself, in his fulfillment of the law and the prophecies of the prophets, did one of the most important things, which was the ethical commands, the, moral, the morality of God, he did it by obeying them. Right? And he makes this statement, I obey them. And that's his actual fulfillment on him. And the, the reason we talk about this is because Jesus goes on straight after this. He set up what we're going to talk about today. He's setting up the conversation around two of those ethical commandments we see in the Old Testament, which is thou shalt not commit murder and thou shalt not commit adultery. And today we're going to talk about um, the murder one. We had to pick. Which one are we going to pick? Jesus started with murder, and we thought that's a good way to go, right? I feel like if he started with adultery, murder would make sense. <laughs> Just saying. He gives us this perspective, and it's namely this, that he was here to deepen the demands of the law, not destroy them, and deepen them from a physical level into a spiritual one. And he does so by beginning with the topic of anger. And so let me read it. Yeah, if you're reading along, and I suggest you do, we're starting here at Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. It says, Jesus says this, have you, sorry, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. That got serious. Verse 23, so if you are offering your gifts at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. 
Verse 25, come to terms quickly with your accuser while, you are do- while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So I was joking with, uh, with the team and, and Emma yesterday uh, in relation to this because up until this point, you know, there's some really like hidden narratives that Christ is speaking and communicating through his, his uh, terminologies and we can sit on the other sermons. There's so much to pull out because there's just like this multi-layered sort of complex narrative that he is constructing, bringing the old with the new, what he's re-establishing, what he's now saying is this. And, and then we get to this point and it's like Jesus just goes, you know what, I'm not going to go multi-layered here. I'm just going to say it how it is. Um, And so today, I'm going to try to make this feel as friendly as possible, knowing that what we just read is really convicting and it's really just like straightforward. Like he doesn't mince his words. Like I feel like now Jesus has hit his full stride, right? He's done the, the Beatitudes, right? He's done the different teachings about salt and light and, and he's gone through this. Now we reach this whole, hey, I've come to fulfill the law, not abolish it. Cool, we get it, we understand it. The Pharisees, scribes are sort of like, okay, you're doing this in your name. And all the, all the homies in the hood are going, yeah, come on. There's a great authority. I haven't heard this before. All these other guys are fakers, but you look like you're the real contender. We want to hear what you're saying. Jesus is like, let's talk about murder. It makes you ask the question, was this going a lot? Like, was there a lot of murder happening at the time? Right? Was Herod out there going, hey, guys, crime stats for this week? Galilee, come on, guys. You're right up there. There's a lot of homicide. <laughs> we'll stay away from the politics of that. But anyway, it makes you wonder, why does Jesus focus in on thou shalt not murder? And, and I think at the end of the day, when we look at all the different commandments, this is one that we, it's so extreme, we actually find it the easiest to exclude ourselves from. So he's picked the one, I think, as human beings, we go, I'm not going to kill someone. Though, uh, I read a statistic, which means it's probably about 10% true, um, that, that in your lifetime, you're going to walk past 10 people that have murdered someone and you didn't know. All right, let's go back into a time of worship. He's picked, a, he's picked the commandment that I think really challenges us in our self-righteousness. And, it, and, and I know it's the one that he would have looked at the scribes and gone, this is the easiest sell for you. But I'm going to challenge what you find easiest and would be the hardest for one for me to confront. I'm going to take the hardest one first. I'm going to put it out there. And he goes on and he begins to say, you shall not kill. Now, this would be better expressed in our common terminologies as you shall not commit Murder, right? Because when you look at it, it's not actually the prohibit. Uh, so the, the um, Christ is not trying to prohibit the Old Testament. The Ten Commandments aren't trying to you know, prohibit taking life completely. And we know this because when you read the Old Testament, you quickly understand that, well, if thou shalt not kill meant that you should never kill someone, then there's a whole bunch of things going on that Jesus, uh, Jesus that God authored and said is, is and, he, and, he, and he gave his approval of, that includes death. And now that's a whole different topic. But what we do know is that when we read, thou shalt not 
kill, it's thou shalt not commit murder. Now, the Mosaic law, and we look at this, absolutely forbids killing in regards to homicide. But it does allow capital punishment and it does allow justifiable war that was to cleanse the promised land of extremely evil pagan tribes. Now, there's a whole bunch of, you know, doctrinal theology we could get stuck in on that. But right now, what you need to know is, uh, when we look at it through our sensitive Christian mindset of the 21st century, and I know we could sit on either side of the fences here, some of us believe that capital punishment is appropriate. Some of us think it's barbaric and it's outdated. Some of us are pacifists and would never go to war. Some of us believe that it's okay to go to war. All I can tell you, and I don't want to get involved in this, is that either way, you can't rely on the Ten Commandment, the sixth one here, as a, justif- a justification to go to war or not to go to war. It's not what it was intended to do. And so those who are like, well, you shouldn't kill, and that includes when you're on the battlefield, says because the Bible says thou shalt not kill. Well, actually, that's not a strong argument when you looked at what God was actually saying. But on the other hand, if you didn't rely on that particular you know, commandment, the sixth one, and went, actually, it has to be justifiable, you then have the argument, is the war you in justifiable? Now, that's a much more difficult conversation to have, right? And you have to actually search a lot more scripture to come to your conclusion. Simply can't hang your hat on the sixth commandment. This is all very important for us to know because at the end of the day, when the the scribes and the Pharisees, when they're teaching this, when they're teaching this commandment, they are making it so literal. They're saying the spilling of blood, homicide alone. If you do not do this, then you have passed that commandment. This is what they're teaching everyone. They're making it so literal, so legalistic, that when Jesus comes, he challenges it straight away. See, we see here that, you know, if you refrain from this, if you consider this something that you've kept, then you have kept the commandments. Rabbis are teaching people this. And then Jesus turns up and says, I disagree. He actually says the true application of this, you know, Uh, prohibition was much wider. He maintained it. He said, hey, look, I get that you can't go killing people, but it runs much deeper. See, it includes your thoughts. It includes your words. I said, honestly, I said this from the start. It's not rocket science. We know this. So we're going to go through the the simple part here. I'm going to teach it to you. It's going to be fun. And we're going to be like, oh, Pastor Ben, that makes so much sense. Literally, I'm just telling you what the scripture verse said. Like, if you can speak English coherently right now, you would understand this. This is not difficult, but we're going to get to some really interesting parts. Well, I don't think it has to do with if we understand it or not. It's if we want to apply it or not. So Jesus says, look, the application of this is more than just the physical homicide. It includes your thoughts and includes your words. So he deals with anger. So anger is mentioned at the beginning of verse 22. It says, everyone who is angry with his brother. In some of the translations, it says without cause. But we, if you do a study on this, you'd realize that that part, that portion has been added in later by people who are doing the translation to better give us an interpretation of what Jesus was actually meaning. Now, now most of our modern day translations have removed that. But nonetheless, it actually does mean what Jesus was trying to say, just for our modern context, without cause. If you have anger towards your brother without cause. Now, that doesn't mean because they did something to you, that's a cause. 
That's not what Jesus is talking about. You can't be like, I'm going to kill you. Like, you can't do that. Right? Because they came along and ate your donut or something like that. I remember in high school, uh, we, my high school was uh, right near a shopping centre. And in grade 11 and 12, which in Australia or in New South Wales at the time, that is high school. It goes all colleges included in there and stuff. And so I was in grade 11 and you finally allowed to leave the school during lunch. Right? And we go and get McDonald's. It's the best. Right? You're just feeding and lining the pockets of big corporation. You feel phenomenal, right? And then you, you eat your McDonald's and you get McFamished and you McDepressed, right? And then you go get yourself a soft serve on the way home. But I remember I bought this Coke and it was a hot day in an Australia where I lived just north of Sydney. It was like humid. It's like 40 degrees. You're outside. In Australia, we have this thing, no hat, no play. Because if you don't have a hat, you're going to get cancer. That's how bad it is there. So no hat, no play. And so, you know, I didn't have my hat, which I didn't care about. I'm like, you grade 12, no hat, no play. I'll just sit in the shade. But it's still hot, and I've got this Coke. And I'm so excited because I know this is going to satisfy my thirst, which is being constantly put upon me by the heat. I go to drink it, and this grade 9 student runs past, and being careless as he is, spins his bag and knocks the drink out of my hand. And I'm angry now. Like, I mean, it's instant rage. You know me. I get frustrated real quick. Like, if you, if you, like, if you make a weird mouth noise, if you, like, you wink and you shouldn't be winking, right? I'm like, why are you winking? I'm angry now. Like, like it, doesn't get, it doesn't take much to get me frustrated. Like, just baseline frustrated. Like, like, like Emma does this thing where she's like, and she does it. And I'm like, I'm going to break those things. I don't like that. But I don't know why, I'm just angry, right? I'm just frustrated with that. So it doesn't take much to like light my fuse. This guy has not just lit my fuse, he's just straight up ruptured the bomb. Like, I'm angry. And he knows, have you had eye contact with someone? It's like, it feels like forever, but it's split second. And it's just that eye contact, and then all of a sudden it's like, you don't have to say anything. In high school, you don't have to say anything. But what it means is, run. <laughs> like, you run. Imagine being grade nine getting chased down by a grade 11 kid, right? It's on. We're running. I get in a lot of trouble for what happens next, right? Because it's unjustified, but I'm angry. I run after this kid. Now, I know you're looking at me now, you're like, Pastor Ben, uh, you've, uh, you've really grown into a bigger man. But in high school, I was actually, athletics was one of my sports that I was actually good at. And uh, I would go regional all the time, or uh, I'd go through the different regional um, levels with the 100-meter sprint, 200-meter sprint. So I ran this kid down relatively fast. Now, you know that you're angry, and you know that you got skills when you choose not to just grab the kid from behind, but you choose to run past him. And, you're, and everyone's confused now, because the kid's like, why am I running if you're in front of me? We're running, I go past him. I abruptly stop while he still runs. I grab his school bag and with all his inertia, I push him into a wall. Take my Coke. Everyone's like, Emma's like, that's the Ben you guys don't know about. The psycho, I'm just kidding. I, was, I, God, I met Jesus after that, it was all good. But what I didn't know was that this kid suffered from epilepsy. What I didn't know was that he was going to have a fit. What I didn't know was I was going to get suspended. All for what? Because I got angry. Like, I allowed anger. Now, I thought I had a cause. 
Do you think right now, after you hear the whole story, I had a reason justifiable to do that to an individual? No, I didn't. It's not justifiable. So when we talk about a justifiable cause, you know, you've got to actually start thinking Jesus is not talking about what made you angry, what they did. It's talking about things like, are you righteously angered over the evil that pervades in this world? Are you upset? Do you get angry when the enemy parades his prisoners in front of you? Do you get angry when you don't do, do what you know you should be doing for the kingdom? Like, that's what he's talking about. That's anger with cause. Not all anger is evil. We know this because God has an anger. It's righteous, but he has it. It's always holy and it's always pure, but it exists. Human beings, as fallen and as damaged as we are, we still have a sense of righteous anger. Now, even in that, we should ask and believe and hope that it's slow to rise and quick to dissipate. See, Luther... He knew in his own experience the meaning of righteous anger. We're talking about Martin Luther here. He says this, An anger of love, one that wishes no one any evil, one that is friendly to the person but hostile to the sin. There's that type of anger of love. This is not what Jesus is talking about. See, we know this because Jesus goes on to reference what he's actually talking about, the unrighteous anger, the anger of pride, the anger of vanity, the anger of hatred and malice and revenge. This is what he's actually talking about. He's talking about the anger issues. Let's talk about the anger of pride. This is an interesting one, right? Anyone show you up? Show you up before? Do better than you? Right? And you get this, there's this indignation, this... Ah, I love it. I love one of my superpowers is pressing the pride button in everyone's life. Like, it's a gift God gave me. I can see what you really hold on to. I can see what, like, I just know where your pride resides, right? And then when you're not looking, I just like, and just, oh, I love to watch it stir up. I'm like, let's see where it goes, you know? But what I love and I do this a lot with my leaders, if you find what pride they suffer from and you begin to like expose it a little bit, their first response is this passive anger. It's just like this. They'd call it defensive, but it's just anger, right? There's this anger of pride. Like pride breeds anger. When someone challenges what you think your value is, even though it might be incorrect or they're better than you at something and you're playing the comparison game, or maybe they don't reach your expectations, all of a sudden there's this pride that starts to fuel this anger. There's vanity, the anger of vanity, right? You get angry with somebody who looks better than you, dresses better than you, grooms better than you, takes care of themselves better than you, right? And you just get angry. What I love about this type of anger is that you actually have the ability to do this yourself. Like a shower a day. You can be my friend. It's not hard. Grooming yourself. But really what we're talking about is being affirmed in our physical attributes, being affirmed in what we want. We want people to love us. 
We want people to say we're awesome and we're amazing. And when we don't get that or someone else gets it, we get angry. There's the pride or the anger of revenge. I love this one because sometimes, you know, we're like, I'd never, I don't believe in revenge. Well, that's true. Maybe, probably not. I say it because most of you don't commit revenge, not because you're holy, but because you're afraid. You're just a chicken. Yeah? You're a wuss. You don't have what it takes to fully go through with a physical revengeful act, but you sit there and you fantasize the downfall of an individual that offended you, who wronged you, and you have the process of revenge in your head. Just because you don't have the courage to see it through doesn't mean you're any less guilty. You're just guilty and afraid. We've actually, I think the anger of revenge probably plays out more than we'd like to think, especially road rage. I did, I did a bad thing the other day. I felt like a hero, but it's bad. I got to go to Squamish. I go there regularly. It's actually quite fun. Uh, team, we go in, like we do the COVID safe travel, so we don't all go in the same car and all that. Joel goes before me. Uh, and he texts me. He says, hey, in Lions Bay, there's a speed trap. I'm like, good to know. There's a speed trap. No one wants to get caught speeding. I don't speed anyway. So I was like, you know what, bro? Thanks for telling me. No need. It's all good. I'm driving there, and there is this... I'm in a truck, right? My truck's it's relatively large. It's a decent-sized truck. But the truck behind me, who wants to go faster than what I'm going, and he's just doing that thing where, you know, when they drive right up behind you, they don't even give you an opportunity to... And then, you know, you're like, oh, okay, I'm happy to play this game. You're going to be rude... I was going to move, but now I'm going to stay here as long as I want. He's doing this, and I realized we're really close to Lions Bay where the speed trap is. So I'm like, I wonder if I can teach this guy a lesson, right? I wonder if I could just help him find the speed trap. And so I deliberately slow down a bit, like below the speed limit, and he's really getting agitated. And then I've got to time it well, right? Because I don't want to be near the speed trap when this goes down. You know what I'm about to do, right? I, mer- I pull into the, the lane at the perfect time for him to overtake me. Now, he's angry at this point. Don't know why. And he's like, boom! He takes off. But I'm like, you know what? I'm going to match his speed for a bit. Just so he has to go a bit faster to prove his point. Right? And so I match his speed. And it's just like, he then just gets angry and he just blows past me and he's like, boom. And I knew, I knew in that moment, he's cooked. Because he's in his anger, he's distracted. He doesn't know it's 60 kilometers an hour. He's now doing 110. He doesn't know there's a speed trap because he doesn't have a friend that texted him. I kid you not, we round the corner and there he is. Talking to an RCMP officer. I said to Joel, I said, do you think that guy woke up this morning realizing that your good intent to text me about the speed trap would lead to him getting a fine? (laughs) That's your fault, Joel. (laughs) That's what you get for doing nice things to people. I know this, when we get angry, when there's road rage, 
He would have blown past me and just, oh, he probably cursed me out. He probably just gave me, or he probably thought the worst things about because he's angry with me, the anger of revenge. I'm happy because I don't have anger because I know what's coming. Justice is coming. It's just around the corner. This is, what, this is what Christ is talking about. He's talking about these very human responses to anger. And we have them. They exist. He, I love what he goes on next. He talks about insults. Jesus warns against calling our brother a raka, which in an Arabic word or the Aramaic word means empty. In the Greek translation means fool. It's talking about it's an insult about someone's intelligence. It's not like, hey, you're a fool. Like, don't be, he's not being like, I pity the fool. He's like, dude, you got a brain, bro. What's wrong with you? He's talking like that. Like, you're so dumb right now. You're like not even a cent short of a dollar. Bro, you're like a penny right now. He's talking about having a go at somebody, really challenging their validity to make healthy decisions, their ability to understand things. It's interesting that he pulls this one up. Like there's a lot of things he could have said, but he chooses to warn against calling our brothers empty or fools. Like a, like a contemporary way of saying this would be like, hey, without like, I know what you're all thinking, like keep your rude ones out of your head. But he's talking like, you're a blockhead, like a numbskull, like an idiot, just an idiot. A moron also is a fool, but can hardly be used here in the ordinary sense. So we can't use the word moron here. See, we know that this is not... Jesus is having a go at people when they have an actual go at someone's ability to comprehend. We know this because he calls the fools, the Pharisees and his disciples fools, and he's not being like, a, like mean to them. Right? So the words he's using here are interchangeable. So we know for a fact, just like anger then, it's interchangeable. So if I call you an idiot because you've been an idiot like, and you've done something dumb, and I'm like, you're just a straight-up idiot. That, that has no benefit. I'm not being what Jesus was being there. But if I like, am deliberately or you're deliberately leading people astray, and I'm like, hey, don't you be an idiot about this. This is someone's life. Don't you be a fool right now then it's different. Do you understand? All of a sudden we're talking about the intent of what we're calling people, the insult behind it. We know that the word Jesus is using here has both religious and moral overtones. You think about that. How often we've sneered at somebody, how often we've hurled abuse at somebody, how often we've thought less of somebody, how often we have marginalised somebody, all without saying a word. I mean, like I said at the start, it's pretty straightforward, so let's try to make this happier. Like, I'm totally, I'm the worst at this. So when I read this stuff, I'm like, man, like, honestly, I said to, in the premier, I think I've killed everyone in this church. If that's, if that's the prerequisite, he'll be like, oh, bad, Pastor Ben, that's terrible. Yeah, but there's, I'll, I'll be honest, I think we're all serial killers then. According to what Jesus was saying is the condition of the heart, then we're all. And that he wasn't here to, to take like notation and go, well, you killed all these people and you insulted all these people and your heart's down. He knows that. 
You do it once, it's terrible. He's not here trying to to make you feel bad. He's here trying to awaken you to the depth of freedom he wants to give you, not just the physical, not just the ritual, not just the discipline, but the freedom from within, a rewiring of oneself. That's why he's challenging it. See, the symptoms we have here, it's not simply I'm angry or or I'm insulting you. There's, there, there's symptoms. These things are symptoms to a deeper heart condition of what's really going on, what's really stirring us. John writes later, anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. See, anger and insults are ugly symptoms of a desire to get rid of somebody who stands in our way. That's the truth. Now, we might not compute it on that level, but it's the truth. Now, we don't mean get rid of them. We might not have wanted to murder them, but we're angry. Someone confronts your opinion. We see it in the world today. Look at it. Anger and insults are the symptoms of a desire to get rid of someone who stands in our way. Makes you wonder about cancel culture, hey? Oh, we do this in peace and love and acceptance. No way. You're cancelling things that some stuff should be cancelled. Don't get me wrong. There's some stuff out there. But we're beyond the borders of the pride land now. We're cancelling things out of preference. We're cancelling things that, we should, like, at the end of the day, you're only cancelling it because you don't agree with it. But it's actually out of anger and out of insult that you're doing it. And see, this is what I find interesting. And, I, man, I, I, I would... Plead with my fellow pastors and fellow reverends out there, do not jump on the bandwagon of cancelled culture. I would challenge that, yes, certain things do need to be cancelled, certain things do need to be you know, rewritten, but it's through the lens of Scripture, not through the lens of preference. Through the lens of Scripture, not through the lens of hurt. Through the lens of what God says, not through the lens of what is vogue or going to get you more likes on Instagram right now. Leaders in the church, that includes everyone listening. You know Jesus, if you know Him, you love Him, then you're going to be called out to be a leader in this generation. You need to know cancel culture is not the way forward. Resurrection culture is the way forward. See, enemy will always try to kill. Enemy will always try to cancel. But my God doesn't want to cancel something. He wants to take it. He wants to take the brokenness of this world and he wants to resurrect it into beauty. He doesn't want to get rid of it. He wants to restore it. He wants to redeem it. If we buy into cancel culture, we're buying into anger and into insult. Now, I know there'll be people out there go, well, we need to cancel racism. Absolutely. Start with your own heart. We need to cancel prejudices. Absolutely. Start with what you're prejudiced against. Because it's so easy to go, oh, I can't believe this and that. But how, what, what, what actually gets under your skin? What do you marginalise? Because it's not about who, you, who your prejudice is against. It's what spirit is actually leading to it. That's what Jesus is saying. It's not that you're angry. It's not that you're insulting people. It's what spirit is feeding that. Because it's not me. That's what he's saying. It's not Christ. It's not God. It's not the Lord. Who's feeding you? He gives some practical antidotes to fix this issue. I see in James 1, verse 19, 21, says, Know this, my beloved brothers. This is Jesus' brother. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, 
slow to anger, for anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness (laughs) and rampant wickedness and receive the meekness, the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Boom, if that is not something that awakens you this morning in relation to anger, I'm not sure what will. It says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Think about this. What is he saying? Well, if I'm quick to hear, maybe I'm going to hear if I have an intention to listen, if my, if my posture is to hear what you have to say before wanting to say what I want you to hear, maybe I will hear something with more than just my physical senses. Maybe I'll hear something in my spirit that is going on in your life. Maybe I'll be able to perceive something that's happening in you that the Holy Spirit might want to use me to be a remedy, not a, 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 a what do you call it? A fire spreader? A fire starter? No, no, there's a word for it. Um, uh, come on, Colin. Yeah. <laughs> That'll do. Catalyst. <laughs> You're like, isn't it written down? No, it's not. It's got other words. He says, be quick to hear, slow to speak. Oh, man, don't we serve a generation that just wants to be heard? Right? They just want to be heard. But they think to be heard, they've got to speak louder and speak quicker, say things that sound awesome. And don't, honestly, the church is not excused from this. And I hear some stuff and I'm like, are you kidding me? Don't ask this question of this person because they might feel offended. Well, I don't know what offends you. Like, just want to ask a question. <laughs> well, can't ask a question. Slow to speak, slow to anger. If I'm quick to listen, if my posture is to hear, if I'm holding back my words so that there's wisdom that is riddled throughout it, if I'm slow to anger, if I protect my heart, I will bring forth healthy fruit because he says here I love it put away all your filthiness I love that word you're filthy get your filthiness out of here <laughs> turn to the person get, not get filthy get rid of your filthiness <laughs> some of you are like get filthy You're like whoa Pastor Ben didn't say that I love that get rid of your filthiness your rampant wickedness remember this is written to the church <laughs> Receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. The practical antidote here is to be quick to listen. The posture to hear more than just through your audible ears, but through the spirit. Be slow to speak. If you're slow to speak, you're more likely to say what the Holy Spirit wants you to say. And be slow to anger, because if you're slow to anger, you're only going to be angry over the righteous things. You begin to become a superhero when it comes to dealing with this. And then I love that. Put away your filthiness. Put away your rampant wickedness because only the implanted word. Hey, don't you love the word implanted there? Oh, got to love that. Implanted. Roots run deep. Brand new heart. Brand new nature. Only God can save our souls. Jesus says these two illustrations. He says, you know what? If you are giving an offering in worship, and the context is in temple right now, and you have 
a grievance with your brother that's unresolved, leave your offering and go. Can I tell you, it might just sound simple because in the modern day context, we're like, if I'm at church and I'm about to worship and I have a grievance, I got to go and I got to make amends with my brother. That's true. That is the modern day. But at the same time, you got to understand they don't give offerings every day, every Sunday here. So he's saying that once or twice a year when you've made all your preparations, you've gone above and beyond, you've spent good money, people are watching you, there's now the ritual and the traditions, and there was all the scribes and Pharisees, the affirmation, the social statuses that come along with this. You're probably not rich, so you have to have saved up a lot, and you bring in your offering. And in that moment, if you have not made that accusation or that grievance right, you need to leave all that and make it right. That tells me that so often, so often what we bring before God is more to do with us than it does with Him. So our worship, it's a game. It's a show. It's a feeling. It's a remedy for whatever stresses we have. But He's saying, you know what? Maybe you're harboring things. Maybe there's things you've got to figure out first. Maybe if you're going to inherit the full freedom of my worship, you need to first understand that it's not about coming in the way you want to come. It's not about everything you want to do. It's about coming how God wants you. God wouldn't come to the altar if he hadn't fixed an accusation first. That's what he's saying. God wouldn't come to worship if he has had an argument with his brother and it was still outstanding. He's setting the example here. I love that the second example here, he says, hey, if you've got a debt, make sure you settle the debt. Make sure that accuser, that creditor, whatever it is, or you're going to go to court and you never know what might happen. You might end up in prison. What he's actually saying is, is that if you can take a posture of humility and meekness and grace and righteousness and you can go and you go try to fix it, you will get an outcome that is favourable to you even though you might not deserve it. You know, I love in the first week, it says, if you insult someone, you're going to be thrown into the hell of fire. That was actually a place near Jerusalem where they burnt all the rubbish. It's great imagery, right? You become rubbish that we burn. This morning, and I've said this before, I know this is, this is straightforward stuff, but Jesus here is confronting right down to the core what motivates us and it's inescapable it's honestly inescapable I could probably in this last week tell how many times I got angry with something and it's not justifiable it's just a frustration just a preference just a pride issue just a vanity issue just a you know a, a, a false righteousness issue like I can think on I can count on multiple hands I've had them how many times I've fallen short Now, we can do what Christians do best, and I say this with the best intentions. We can put on the shelf, and we can say, you know what, God? Absolutely, I don't want to be a murderer. I don't want to do this. I got to, you know, that's such a great word. Jesus is so direct. I love when Jesus is this. I like it as a church when we take time to really go verse by verse, and it's really amazing. You know, I feel like I know so much more. You know, the Bible says that if you know more and do less, You're like the pinnacle of stupid. That you will be judged the harshest. So all of you out there going, well, this was direct and Jesus is so good and 
oh man, I've just got to think about and digest this a little. You don't have to digest anything. Jesus said, don't be angry. Don't insult people. Don't be inappropriate towards them. Don't, don't in your heart want to see malice. Don't want to see revenge. Stop living through the competitive lens. Stop being something one who chases vanity and chases pride and self-promotion. This is what he's saying. You don't need to digest this. You just need to step up to the plate and begin to actually go, you know what, I can do better because Jesus has called out greatness in me and He's given me the Holy Spirit. I'm not an orphan here. I'm not alone here. I've been given every aspect of authority I need to live this life. And what He wants to do is rewire us. He wants to rewire us. That's why He says, implanted. The psalmist says, I have hidden your word in my heart so that I wouldn't sin against you. Our impulses need to be rewired. I honestly think Jesus must get really sad when he sees how angry the church is. Unjustifiably angry towards certain parts of our community. And it all comes down to what he was saying. You can't remove the people that disagree with you. Jesus didn't come to remove those who disagreed with him. He honestly didn't. He came to resurrect the dead give sight to the blind, heal the broken heart, set the captives free. He didn't come so that those people we're angry with, our boss who treated us badly, our neighbour who keeps parking in our spot, He didn't come to get rid of them. Stop praying them out of existence in your life. That's an angry prayer. They're not, they're not Goliath. They're not your wall of Jericho. They're not the mountain that you think. What they are is the image of God presented before you. And what he says here is that, hey, you could actually bring this person closer to God in the way you respond. Church, we've got to be less angry, more happy. I know COVID does funny things to us. I know I am less, I'm more frustrated now than I usually am because of what we have to deal with. But I honestly think in these seasons... We really, as believers, don't, we shouldn't try to survive. We should thrive. We should, under persecution, under weird restrictions, under the hypocrisy of some of these restrictions, under the, just the unjust behavior towards churches, things like that, we should not be afraid. We should not get angry. We should begin to come alive like never before. As we go into worship right now, can I honestly encourage you? Let's take this opportunity. I know, like I said, it's a straightforward sermon. Don't be rude. Don't insult people. Don't be angry. Watch your heart. All that stuff. Let's not leave that on the shelf. On the other hand, let's not go beat each other up about it. Like don't look at someone and be like, I know what you thought just then. I felt it. I'm going to lie down here and draw chalk around me just so you know that I know what you did. There's a beautiful medium right in the middle where we go, there's application and there's grace. There's transformation that takes time. Freedom is a process. But let's work towards this together. Let's show love together. Let's encourage one another together. We can do better, not because it's all about achieving a goal, but it's all about becoming more like Christ. So we're more beneficial for the kingdom. As we worship, let's ask Him, God. I know all of us need help in this area. Those of you who are like, ah, oh, I don't need any help. We call you passive, aggressive. You need help. 
We all need help. So as we worship, as we allow God to begin to rewire, it's not about digesting, it's about surrendering. Let's surrender to him. Our natural instinct, which is corrupt and broken, go, I want more of you, Jesus. Do the work only you can do. Come on, church. Thank you, team. We hope you enjoyed this message. We would love you to subscribe to our weekly podcast. Other ways you can connect with Avant Life is through YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Or check out our website at avantlifechurch.com.